Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, those joining us through our online affiliates around the world, thanks to our podcast, we're glad you all could be with us as well. A lot of times, if you're hearing a news story or seeing something in the news about the homeless population, a lot of times we just think about the numbers. Our next guest has written a book that really allows us to remember that they are people just like us and to tell us their stories in a way that helps us not only better understand them but also how we can all be of service to them. We're excited to welcome Dr. Robert L. Oaken to our broadcast today. His book is called Silent Voices, People with Mental Disorders on the Street. We're going to talk to Dr. Oaken not only about the writing of this book but also the conversations he's been able to have both with those who are part of the homeless community but also others who he hopes will be able to help as well. If you all are just now finding out about the book, we'll let you know how to be able to get Get your own copy of it. Dr. Oaken, thank you again for the time. Really do appreciate it. Good to be here, Cyrus. So this is a, a really important conversation, and it really does tackle two things. I was focusing mostly in my introduction there, Dr. Oaken, about the, the homeless population, but you also, through this subtitle of the book, discuss mental disorders. We're going to get into that, but what has it been like for you to have these conversations, not only about the importance of acknowledging mental health issues, but also the homeless population as well. Well, I first got interested in this group of people when I was, uh, one night I was uh, uh, walking to my car. It was cold and rainy in San Francisco, and I saw this little woman in rags huddled up on the street and I wondered how in the world she could bear the stresses and the cold and the rain night after night after night. I couldn't get her out of my mind, actually. And I decided that I wanted to spend some time on the streets approaching people who were homeless and mentally ill, talking to them and asking them how they became homeless and how they bore the incredibly grim lives that they were leading on the street and why it was so difficult for them to move out of their homeless state. So that's how I, that's how I really got started. Uh, when I began to approach people, I thought that they would just blow me off and refuse to talk to me uh, because I... I was just some dude on the street, you know, with my knapsack and ultimately my camera. I had no authority, certainly none of the authority I had in the hospital with my white gown and so on. But I found the opposite. They seemed genuinely pleased that I was interested in their lives. Most of these people, it turned out, had been neglected as children, and they continued to feel invisible as people on the street seeing that I was very interested in their lives meant a lot to them. And, you know, many people, many people told me that as difficult as it was to bear the physical privations of life on the street, the thing that really got to their hearts were the way the public just passed them by and barely, yeah. barely acknowledged them. 
I also expected to find people with tough outer shells who were going to be very difficult to connect with. Uh, Instead, I found people who were exquisitely sensitive and very willing to talk to me and with surprising candor and intensity about the most personal and intimate issues in their lives. You know, I have to say, most had tears in their eyes during much of the interviews. I was really surprised at how close to the surface their grief was. Uh, and I'm so glad you said that. And I, a couple of things you said there I want to definitely go back to. But I think one of the main things is that the way that others treat them. And I think when I was reading this book, that is what the thing that stood out to me the most. Because, And I guess if you kind of step back for a moment, any of us, when we are, you know, we all have heard the saying, you don't kick a man when they're down. And yet that's exactly what seems to happen sometimes when you're talking about these populations, whether it's the homeless population or those dealing with mental illness in some capacity as well. Um, Did that kind of, for you, did that kind of instruct or guide the way, Dr. Oaken, that you wanted to make sure that you share their stories? Because what I also took away was the trust they had in you in sharing their stories. Was that part of why you wanted to do this and sharing it in a book that you could not only share their stories, but also share what their needs may be. Yeah, it's very true what you're saying. After I, after I began talking to them, I realized that their stories needed to be shared with a larger audience, and that's why I decided to, to write the book. And in addition to presenting their first-person narratives, because I, wa- I wanted them to to have a voice. I wanted them to speak in their own words. So I asked them if I could record them as they told me about their lives. And then, you know, as I, as I watched them, I thought words alone would not tell the story. There was something about their faces that to me was so beautiful. And you know, their, their faces were just etched with the suffering that they had experienced. So I began to ask whether I could photograph them as they told me about their lives. I didn't stage the photographs. You know, I didn't say, okay, smile, I'm going to take your photograph. You know, I took, photo- I took their photographs as they, as they talked to me, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, so many of the photographs showed people with tears in their eyes because they were telling me about the, the most painful aspects of their lives. Yeah. And I think there's nothing I mean, like knowing that someone cares and that someone is feeling seen. I mean, I thought about the title of the book, yes. Silent yes. Voices. Uh, and I think for so many of us, they're silent only because either we're not listening you know, or because there's so much of life that is happening that drowns them out. So I want to talk about the public then, because as you were, as you mentioned, the first encounter you had with the woman, you know, in the situation that she was in that made you, you know, more curious, and then, of course, being able to go and to spend time and get to hear these stories. What what was your aim for us as the public? Because, again, in reading the book, I can just say for myself as a reader, Reading the book, what it really does is just remind us that people are people, you know, and our circumstances may be different, but we are all going through something. What were you hoping that people like myself, Dr. Oaken, took away from reading these stories? Well, 
by giving them a voice in the public domain, as it were, I, I really hoped that I could convey the essential humanity of these people as a, as a kind of counterweight to the fear, the hostility, the blame, and, you know, often the indifference with which they're generally seen and treated. Because as long as we don't see them as people, we'll never be able to identify with them. We'll always exaggerate the ways we're, you know, dissimilar to them, and we'll minimize the ways that we're we're similar. And as long as we do that, we'll continue to dehumanize them. You know, all of us, all of us have feelings. All of us get cold when the when the temperature drops. All of us get wet when it rains and exhausted when we can't sleep. All of us have fallen off the horse and have trouble getting back on. You know, there are so many commonalities that we have with these people as, as human beings. And one of, the, one, one of the problems is that we tend, to, we tend to convey our dislike of these people to the political sector, you know, to our political leaders and kind of convey to them that it's all right for them to ignore them, uh, not provide services for them, not provide housing for them, you know, to treat them as a disposable population. So our own personal views of these people, the way we dehumanize them, really has tremendous political, economic, and social uh, consequences as well. I one of the the individuals that you write about in the book, Dr. Oaken, that I want to mention for our audience um, is is Barbara, uh, and sharing Barbara's story, and then of course we have the the photos there as well. I, I think you know it really does remind you that this could be someone's sister, this could be someone's mother. You know, this could be someone that that we that we know. Um, you, you you said um, in the book, in talking about, it, you said that you were struck by Barbara's powerlessness to get something so simple, yet so essential. Uh, and and th- that was the case for a lot of the individuals. That, you know, it's not they wanted anything extravagant. Talk to us about individuals like Barbara. Was it easy for you to to let them go after hearing their stories? Well, it was hard. Um, You know, I had breakfast monthly with a couple of people that I met, and Barbara in particular really struck me. You know, I remember going into her, uh, you know, she she was in a a little apartment, uh, an SRO, and uh, when I... When I came to visit her again, she was dressed in uh, about three overcoats, and it was freezing in her apartment. And I asked her, what, why, why don't you turn the radiator up? She said, the radiators have been broken for months. I've tried to get the management to, uh, you know, to fix it. I've written to them, but they just ignored me. And so the only thing I could do was just put on, put on several coats, and that's what I sleep in. 
you know, in, so that that's an example of something. It's so, so simple. You know, I went down to the management and I said, look, you've got to fix that radiator and I'm not going anyplace until you do. And all it took was, you know, about 10 minutes of a handyman's time and they fixed it so she could be warm. Wow. The other thing about about Barbara in particular that struck me, you know, as you, as you know from passing people on the street, a lot of homeless people have lost their teeth because the grime of the streets and often the drugs they've taken and uh, their lack of dental care, all of it, it leads to losing their teeth. And I had lunch with Barbara several times, and I could watch how she tried to eat with no teeth, you know, just her gums, you know, smacking the food and then kind of swallowing it half, half chewed up. You know, it's, you don't, you, you don't kind of see this and you don't really imagine it when you pass someone on the street, but getting close to these people, you then see what the true tragedies of their lives are like and what they have to bear. Such a great point and such a great reminder for all of us. I want to say for those who are just tuning in, it's on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. We're speaking with Dr. Robert L. Oaken today. We're talking with him about his book, Silent Voices, People with Mental Disorders on the Street. And I want to talk about this subtitle of the book again, and that being the mental disorders. You talk to about people uh, who do have different conditions, Dr. Oaken, that we're able to read about in the book. And the fact that, you know, how that, of course, if, if being homeless and being in that situation was not enough, then, of course, being able to have something that may not be treated uh, or something that, of course, impacts their lives. What was that element like for you to think about? It's one thing, because people end up, we all know these days, people end up being homeless for different reasons. But what was it like for you to see the role that mental health played in that? Yeah, well, you know, many of the people had... uh, had serious mental illness, and they they undoubtedly had a genetic predisposition to it, and their mental illness expressed itself often during their late adolescence or early 20s. And sometimes after talking to them, uh, they were so disorganized when they tried to tell me about their lives that I had to listen super carefully to try to pick out the themes of what they were saying. And I often went home at night feeling kind of disorganized myself after listening to them. Mm. So mental illness plays a prominent role. And some of the people uh, had been followed by their families for years and their families tried to help them, but you know, but sometimes they just couldn't. And the government, uh, you know, gives families so little support. Uh, so the, a lot of these people kind of slipped into the street, very isolated, uh, almost no human contact. But even these people were reachable. You know, when I approached them and expressed interest in their lives, they were willing to talk to me. And even if I couldn't understand everything they said, 
it was possible to pick out the themes. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it's those themes, I think, that are so timely for the world that we're living in today, Dr. Oaken. And this is, as you address in the book, this is not a new problem, but it is definitely a problem that we see that is worsening. We have only to look at what's happening in New York right now, especially, of course, not only with the combination of the of the migrant crisis, but also the increasing homelessness there. What you know, there, It just really shows to me, Dr. Oaken, how these things can really dovetail in with one another. So let's talk then about about the hope. What is it that keeps you optimistic in this work? Well, first of all, this is homelessness is is a is an eminently solvable problem even when it's accompanied by mental illness. I mean, it's not rocket science. Homeless people need homes and mentally ill people when combined with homelessness need good treatment. Uh, there's there's really a fair amount of evidence that this is a solvable problem. It's not just some vague hope on my part. You know, during the uh, Obama years, uh, the federal government, often embarrassed by the uh, abandonment uh, of the government, uh, of of vets, homeless vets on the street, the the federal government decided it was going to provide treatment, substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, and low-income housing for these people. And in a decade, they reduced the homelessness homelessness among vets by 41%. You know, that's just in a decade. I mean, it shows just what focusing on the problem can do. Another example, as unlikely as you might think it to be, is Houston. The mayor of Houston decided he was going to take this problem on, and in a kind of in a single-minded way, he made sure that the city provided housing and treatment for the chronically homeless often unsheltered population. And again, in 10 years, he was able to reduce the homelessness in that city by 63%. Now, if that isn't uh, evidence that this is a solvable problem, I don't know what else is. So what keeps me optimistic is knowing that it's a solvable problem. It's having myself participated as a psychiatrist in helping people find housing and treatment. And I believe that if the citizens of this country decide that they've had enough of this problem, both those who are sympathetic to these people and those who might not be sympathetic but just don't want to see them on the street, when those two subpopulations combine and put pressure on the government, then the government will will act. You know, we're lucky that we live in a democracy as fragile as it is right now, and we need to use the democracy. We need to really use our voices to put pressure on our political leaders. So that's what keeps me optimistic. 
And that is definitely part of the call to action that you end the book with. Dr. Oaken, it is such an important conversation. I thank you for writing this book, for sharing these stories, and letting us then uh, be able to take this message moving forward. And like you said, that it's all about action. You know, and, and that's something that all of us can agree on, regardless of where we find ourselves when it comes to ideology uh, or a life. You know, the, the fact that there is there is still something called humanity, and everyone's entitled to it. Again, everyone, Robert L. Oaken has been our guest. Silent Voices is the book, People with Mental Disorders on the Street. You can get it through our friend at Amazon.com. Definitely invite you guys to get your own copy of it. Dr. Oaken, how can our audience stay connected with you? Well, I would appreciate it if they did. Uh, they can contact me uh, at my website. That's probably the easiest way for them to do it. And the website is silentvoicesbook.com. Okay. We'll make sure that we link that up for our audience as well. And Dr. Oaken, thank you again for the great work that you're doing. I really appreciate you stopping by today, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Great. Cyrus, thanks very much for having me on. And glad Bye-bye. to do it. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Now let's go make today amazing. Take care.